Hello, welcome to another Music on Focus with me, Music on editor Joe Sparrow. And in this episode, I'm joined by Eliane Elbogen, an intellectual property lawyer from Faskin Law Firm in Montreal. Now, Eliane uh, works in intellectual property and is doing a lot of work in the space around music AI and generative AI and the legal implications that accompany them. So I took this opportunity to lob some tricky and or stupid legal questions at her, depending on your point of view, and she answered them with patience and clarity. All of that coming up in one minute. Now, each Music Ally Focus episode analyzes just like this, one meaningful music business story at a time. And so this podcast is also going to be quick. It should take about the same amount of time as Edgar Scandura could hypothetically smash 1,750 watermelons with a punch. Edgar smashed 78 in one minute in 2019. Now, talking about getting straight to the juice... Like many people in the music industry, we have been puzzling over the impact of AI-generated music and how it will align with the laws that have made the music business the music business. So we asked IP lawyer Eliane Elbogen to answer the questions that have left us scratching our heads. For instance, can AI author music? Or can humans claim ownership of AI-generated music? And what happens if an AI-created piece of music sounds very similar to your own human music that was made first? And finally, what laws might be used to regulate all of this in the end? Eliane Gamely got to grips with all these questions, so let's go and hear her answers right now. So I'm very happy to welcome to the podcast uh, Eliane Elbogen, intellectual property lawyer from Faskin Law Firm in Montreal. Hello, Eliane. Hi, Joe. We're going to talk about copyright, intellectual property, and AI technologies in the music industry in a little bit more of a sort of uh, nuts and bolts uh, legal sense. But before we do that, can you give me some, and us some basic introduction stuff, who you are, what you do, and what you, your, your work is in relation to, for example, generative AI, please? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm an intellectual property lawyer, as you uh, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, I used to be a digital art curator, so I have a fair amount of insight and knowledge about the um, the intersection of art and AI and the law. Um, I practiced as a digital art curator for about ten years before becoming a lawyer, and then I guess more or less seamlessly transitioned into um, uh, an intellectual property practice, focusing mostly on copyright, some trademarks, some patents. Also, I do mostly um, intellectual property litigation. So anytime there's a copyright infringement lawsuit, I could either be representing the plaintiff or the defendant uh, on both the rights holders and user side. Right. And for clarity, when you say digital art, we, I, mm -hmm. this is a clarification just in the realm of... Uh, NFTs and things like that. Do you, do you mean crypto-related digital art, or is this sort of more sort of? Uh, good point. Good question. Um, so no, actually, it's not really uh, what I what I would work on wasn't really crypto-related. Um, or I mean, NFTs came about a few years after I stopped working as a curator. Uh, what, when I refer to digital art, I really mean it in the broadest sense of uh, art that uses digital, but also analog mediums, um, and that uh, explore questions of what it means to be creating and um, consuming and exhibiting art in, uh, I guess, a digital context. Okay. 
So no, no, no NFTs in no, your background. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, um, you recently spoke at the Mutech conference a few weeks ago before I recorded this about generative AI in, in relation to music, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the conversation when you were there? You're there you, you gave this talk, you were talking to people there. What, what, were the, what was the conversation in the music industry right now? And what were the attendees most interested in or concerned by about this technology? Mm-hmm. I think most people there were interested in what what does AI mean or generative AI mean for the future of artistic creation? Um, should artists be concerned? Uh, will they be replaced by you know AI bots? Um, will they still be able to protect their works, um, stop others from using their work? So all of those questions came around. I gave two talks, actually. The first one was a masterclass on copyright and AI in a digital or uh, copyright for digital creatives, I like to call it. So that encompasses music, obviously. Um, And then I was also part of a panel with two other speakers on the use of AI in music. Right. So that's that's the context that we're sort of talking from. Now, yeah. it feels at the moment, you know, we've reported at Music Ally on, I'm going to call broadly music AI technology for you know, maybe 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's only obviously in the last um, few months it's accelerated and, and become this huge thing. And it feels like that the conversation, people have sort of moved past the sort of initial thing of fear mm. into positivity that AI Curiosity. can be used as, yeah, curiosity. Yeah. We get through the stages of grief. I think we've described yeah. it in the past. Um, sort of the, the, the stage now where they're, they're curious. They see it as a tool if used in the right way, um, and that something that can be used for positive or for for bad, depending on mm. the people using it. And we've seen lots of examples recently as well, which we can talk about in a minute. But there's a lot of questions, like you just said, then about ownership, and when people use elements of things that make people recognizable as artists um for example voices or imagery or all these things which are perhaps not such enormous focus areas previously so let's ask a really sort of uh i'm gonna say stupid question but a a very simple question which is from a legal standpoint can ai author music no, <laughs> AI right. alone, AI alone cannot author a work of creative expression. Um, that is clear. Uh, an author, for copyright purposes, and I, I, I maybe I should just put out a disclaimer. I'm speaking from a Canadian copyright perspective. Our copyright right. regime is very similar. In fact, modeled on the American copyright regime, which also has m- many similarities with the UK. Uh, copyright. So no, AI cannot be an author. An author has to be uh, a human being, which makes sense when you think about what copyright is intended to protect, which is Mm. uh, the, the, uh, the results of creative or intellectual effort. Um, And copyright is an extension of an artist or an author's economic rights in their works, but also uh, it's an extension of that creative expression being a reflection of their personality as a, as a human being. So no, AI right. cannot be considered an author for copyright purposes. Okay. What I'm interested in is getting to the, the, the sort of the very limit of where does authorship kick in? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me throw another example at you then. Let's say I'm, I'm a, I train an AI 
and I have an AI and it's generating music. I'm not involved with it. It's trained on other another body of musical work. Maybe I've got it. Maybe I have the rights to use that. Maybe I don't. It's just um, mm. we can put that aside. Yeah, keep, keep it in that gray area. Let's say, but I mean, it's generating music. Yeah. How would I claim copyright to to that? Um, we don't have a clear answer to that question, and it it really depends. Um, I'm going to put my lawyer's hat on and say that um, it, it it depends where you're trying to seek copyright protection. So in the United States, we do have some uh, some guidance coming out of, for example, the United States Copyright Office, which is saying that in order to register copyright in a work. Um, you have to show the copyright office that you've substantially or significantly um, brought in elements of human authorship that would rise to the level of copyright protection. And those include, these are some examples that have been provided. They include arranging, selecting, compiling after, after, those, after images or works or, or, or musical works have been generated. It could also be in the post-production process, so um, tweaking, fine-tuning, editing, modifying images or, or, or music after they have been outputted by an AI model. So those are the elements that could receive copyright protection. Um, I suspect we'll come to a similar conclusion in Canada, but that hasn't been decided yet um, by the courts. So I, I, the reason I'm asking this question is because I think what a lot of people have fears around is that, okay, a company will train an AI, they'll churn out millions of tracks, mm -hmm. they'll upload them, flood the market, and they'll claim you know, fractions of royalty payments across all of these and aggregate it into yeah. a, you know, a workable income, right? And, and, but but it, it, under the sort of the, the, the outline you mooted there, that wouldn't be possible unless they'd intervened in each of these tracks produced and made a change, even a small one, and, th and then yeah. registered that and, and made it about that. Okay. Um, or... Well, no, yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's important to, um, to clarify an aspect here, which is if you're if you're using AI as a substitute for human creation, I think there is consensus in the legal community that works that are coming out of that type of process, um, not only from a legal standpoint, don't receive copyright protection, but from a policy standpoint, shouldn't receive copyright protection either, because the, the sheer volume of it is just, we're not keeping that like one-to-one -one sort of human creator to work output, that one-to-one -one ratio is, is just being completely uh, thrown on its side. Here's another question then. If an AI-generated song sounds very, very similar to another artist's song, but it's not tangibly copying anything, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's no samples in there, mm -hmm. does the original, in air quotes, does the original artist have any recourse to claim any form of co-ownership? So if, 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 yeah. if an AI, under some circumstances, produces a song that sounds a lot like the Beatles, but is not not the Beatles, tangibly exactly. like a Beatles yeah. song that you yeah. know, but it really sounds like it. Yeah, could could Paul McCartney step in and go, "Come on, this virtual voice and sounds just like me, and this uh, these chord changes and the mood and the feel and everything sounds like the Beatles." And come on, mm -hmm. um, 
to a certain extent, yes, but probably not in the way that people would ex- would have normally expected. So there's a few things I, I, you know, I think I need to unpack this question because there's a, a few elements here. The first is, again, how is that AI model being used to create an AI generated work? Uh, is it just pure, is it a pure mechanical exercise where there's no human input and you have something that's just spit out by, um, you know, by a, by an AI model. If that's the case, then chances are there is no copyright protection in that work. And so if somebody like a Paul McCartney stumbles upon a, a piece of music on Spotify and thinks to himself, hmm, that sounds a lot like the work that I've done. It, sound, it kind of, it's mimicking my style. Maybe it's mimicking my the quality of my voice. So if that work was purely generated by AI, there is no copyright. And therefore, there is no copyright infringement because that work is not, yeah. Um, so that's one aspect. If there is, um, if there is some form of human input that is, sufficient to protect the copyright in the AI generated work, then you have to look at, well, is that work a substantial reproduction or reproduction of a substantial part of the original work? Um, And that's a really complicated process, especially in an AI context, because how do we know exactly what works the AI models were trained on? We could you know, with some digging, you could figure out which songs from the Beatles repertoire ended up in a, you know, in a, in a training data set. But then you'd have to look at, well, what aspects of which songs were reproduced and is that a substantial portion of it? Um, so that's, that's another element to the, to the analysis. Um, and these are, this would probably be one of the most convoluted, complicated ways of protecting your IP or copyright in those underlying works. More, um, a more direct way of doing it would be potentially through uh, an image rights claim. So if a singer's voice is used and their, that the quality of their voice is essentially identical to the actual person's voice and that that artist could potentially claim um, that their image rights were infringed. There was a famous example of the fake Drake track Mm -hmm. where a voice that was clearly, it was trained on Drake's voice was used to create tracks. So it was, it was clear that it was, there was some sort of infringement there, but also it's complicated, isn't it? Are people in the, on the legal side of things going to come to a, a consensus, do you think, about how existing laws can be used to, to deal with these situations? Or is it going to be a case where there might have to be new ways of using new laws? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Traditionally, the the law doesn't evolve nearly as fast as technology does. And and actually, what we've been seeing in the last year, where we've, we've been seeing a lot of these sort of guidance documents come out of certain, like the U.S. Copyright Office, for example, that's coming out at an unprecedented rate. We really, I I haven't seen in the few years that I've been practicing IP law, um, the regulators or or the lawmakers react so quickly to to advances in technology in this way. Uh, So that's encouraging. Are they getting it right? Some aspects, yes. Others, no. Um, What I was referring to earlier about... uh, 
in the U.S., that requirement that an that a human being um, bring a sufficient level of authorship through modifications or selections or compiling, I feel like that's missing the mark just a little bit. Because if if a, if a creator of an artist is using an AI model as a tool to enhance or, or just as a as an exploratory tool, you know like they would any other technological implement, a photo, a camera, for example, or, or Photoshop. Um, many of us in the legal community don't see that as like, don't understand why that should be an imped- impediment to the resulting work, not being copyright protected. Again, going back to that idea of if the human is at the center of the creative process and they're merely using an AI as a tool how is that any different from using other technological tools just because they're not based in AI or, you know, deep learning techniques? Now, at this point, let me just take a moment to remind you that last year, Music Ally launched a series of five free courses covering everything you need to know about Amazon Music for Artists, including programming and curation, selling artist merchandise, understanding voice technology, reaching audiences via Alexa, and live streaming on Twitch. Supported by Amazon Music, these courses are all completely free to access. And now, thanks to Amazon's support, Music Ally is also able to offer complimentary certification to any individual or company that completes all five of the courses. So what have you got to lose? Nothing, that's what, because they're all free. So you can find a link to the Amazon Music for Artists series in our show notes beneath the podcast. Really, it's, it feels like it, the legal question only really comes in when it's obviously and specifically being used by people with technologies that are perhaps clearly trained on other people's work or in a way that is some sort of traditional infringement in a more complicated way. Another question, uh, sort of connected to the fake Drake example, when an AI has been trained without permission mm-hmm. on a human artist's voice... And a piece of vocal audio is then produced as a consequence. And it sounds like that artist that it's trained on. Is that AI-generated piece of audio, is it very clearly a, a breach of copyright? Is it clearly mm. illegal? Is it clearly, is, is there a gray area there? Yeah. Is there a, an instance where it could be fine? There absolutely is a gray area. It's not clearly a breach of copyright. Um there, as I was saying earlier, the the resulting work, if it doesn't reproduce a substantial part of an original underlying work, there is no copyright infringement. So, and, and we've seen this time and time again, there's no, there, and there's no threshold, you know, like in the music industry, the three note threshold, that doesn't exist. Um, you really have to look at both works from a holistic perspective. It's a case by case analysis. You look at it quantitatively, but you also look at it qualitatively. And it's really about, uh, you know, perhaps the, the chords that are used, the musical progressions, if it's, if there's voice uh, or lyrics, you know, all of those elements will go into the analysis and that's specific to music. But, you know, when we're looking at visual works, um, there will be other elements that we'll look at. The other aspect to your question is whether, and I think this is what you're hinting at is whether an artist's style is protected through copyright. And this is something that we've been hearing a lot. Um, It comes out a lot in the use of, of visual works specifically, but 
the short answer to that is no, style alone is not copyright protectable uh, in the same way that raw data or or mere ideas without expression in a tangible form are not copyright protectable either. That being said, uh, <laughs> and again, going back, it's all it's all linked, everything that I'm saying here, you know, I'm going sort yeah. of going back and forth here, but style could potentially be protected through an artist's image rights or right of publicity um, right. as an extension okay. of their personality. Because one of the interesting things about AI is that we're starting to really sort of understand from a new perspective what people really like about an artist and what makes that artist's artist. work valuable yes of and course unique. it's a great yeah. song yeah yeah it's it, of course it's a great song that's important but actually if you take this artist's voice and put it on this or use it in this way it it does automatically elevate that music yeah. in the eyes of people because it, it all of the associations with it i'm i would say the brand associations but that sort of dehumanizes mm-hmm. the artist a bit, mm-hmm. you know well, but that's it, it, it's true yeah and it'll be interesting to see how what laws are applied because it might mm-hmm. not be the laws we might expect. You've mentioned twice yeah. their sort of image rights, which mm-hmm. I didn't think about, but actually makes mm-hmm. sense when you talk about um, what makes an artist an artist. Record labels, music publishers, and other industry sort of bigger stakeholders are sort of being really, really careful to avoid ob- obviously grey area AI-generated music. They don't want it in their catalogues. They're, they're making sure that it's something they're, they're keeping at arm's length and, and they're making clear suggestions about how regulation might uh, work with them. But could they... Is the, I mean, it's so, AI is so pervasive now and it's so quick to generate music and with AI. Could they be exposing themselves unwittingly to some sort of legal risk? In if, so Let's say they're distributing music or it's on their label or it's in their catalogue, mm-hmm. and the, the artist has used a part, they've generated some, something from AI and thrown it in the mix, and, you know, it's just in there. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. really think about it. Is there, is there any sort of threat there at all or any complications up ahead? Complications for sure. Um, right. Yeah, and there, there definitely could be some risk. Uh, and it's understandable that uh, the major industry players, the record labels, are, are not, that enthusiastic about um, AI-generated music because, yeah, there is a lot of uncertainty and with uncertainty comes risk. Um, So, yeah, if an artist is using AI to create works and those works again, go back, going back to the, the, the threshold for copyright infringement, which is the substantial similarity, if we have AI generated works that are substantially similar to uh, pre-existing original works, there could potentially be a copyright infringement claim. Um, And then those who are those entities that are distributing the works and commercializing them and benefiting from the underlying copyright there could also be liable. These stakeholders we're talking about, you know, maybe publishers, labels, they've got large and substantial catalogues of music but they've been created over a very long period of time 100 years you know they've built these catalogues up and what we're we're hearing people in the ai music space saying well we're gonna you know ai music is actually going to become a different type of music Mm. we're going to see hundreds of millions of tracks being created but we're not going to consider the music in in the sort of traditional three minute pop song sense where these are going to be components of bits of music that are used by the sort of creator class of internet users so previously we've had the artist creating music and it's sort of 
like if you like it, it's broadcast to the listeners. So there's that zero point zero one percent of creators, and then ninety nine point nine nine percent of people are listeners. And now we're entering an era where you know on TikTok, people take a piece of this song, they speed it up, they put these visuals over, and it's everything's a remix now. You know, mm-hmm. um, but is is that something? You know, music is becoming that. Like I'm going to piece this together with this, this, and this, and I'm going to use it on my channel to make this video over here, and it's maybe not a song in the traditional sense. So. You know, how is that going to, you know, when people are making music in these kind of ways and it's not in the traditional sense of three-minute pop song is made, it's registered with mm. the PRO and it's distributed over here, is that going to open up a can of worms in the sense of how is it going to, how difficult is it going to be to to chase any infringement down if, mm-hmm. if, it's, if they're scattered across platforms, they're used in really discreet, weird ways? Yeah. Is this where the sort of the framework at the moment is perhaps not fit for not fit. the new purpose? Yeah, I, I, that's a really great question. And I've thought about that a lot. And I think that, um, you know, we've entered into an era where I think we've perhaps reached the edges of what copyright was meant to achieve and what it was meant to protect. Um, because, you know, initially it was it was it was meant to protect the economic rights in books and to stop potential infringers from just making, from making copies of books. Um, And I know I keep going back to this idea of that one-to-one ratio, but I think it's really important because at, at the heart of it, at at the heart of what we're, we're talking about right now is one human being, one human creator who has a finite capacity to produce works and people who are consuming those works also have a finite capacity to consume a certain number of works. And once we, and, and, and copyright works well in that context, in that framework, once we get out of that and we're, we're like you say, using the, using AI in this really splintered, really um, just like in the sheer volume of it, we're coming outside of that. And, and copyright doesn't, work well in that context. So I think we are pushing copyright to its limits. Um, it might not be the right vehicle to, uh, to to protect those types of works and, inf- you know, enforce whatever intellectual property is in those works. Um, and again, though, it might, you know, we, it could just be we're entering into this new space of works that are just in the public domain. That's there's nothing inherently wrong with that, you know, from a legal standpoint, the public domain or the commons exists, also exists, and it's there for the taking. So perhaps that's another area that uh, that creators and, and users could explore as well. So, so we could see, hypothetically, a future where people use these technologies to make lots and lots of music, but it's, 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 it's music that is in the commons, and so it's we don't really need to worry about it. It's outside of, well, maybe we do need to worry about it. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's outside of the sort of traditional copyright and intellectual property system. Mm-hmm. They're not making money from it per se. It's from, a, yeah. maybe they put a song on a video and they make the money from, you could argue the video and the content of the video, not the, I don't know. But I mean, it's, mm-hmm. are we entering a, a time where there could be like a vast, like 95% of all music made is like that. And then 5% is of the traditional sense mm. where 
there's a, a strong and clear framework of intellectual property around it and royalties and income coming from it. Yeah. Well, if, if it ever uh, shifts in s- to such a degree, um, I can guarantee you that the, the the record labels and publishers of this world are going to try and find ways to, right. <laughs> to find copyright in those works. Again, okay. copyright boils down to protecting the economic rights of an artist and, and or whoever is the rights holder in that work. So, um you know, I don't think that we're in a post-capitalistic age where all of a sudden right. um, cultural and creative output will just be 95% of it will be in the public domain. <laughs> I don't think we're there yet. But it's interesting to ask these questions and to try and figure out and piece together how copyright um, can adapt to these new contexts. What's the future outcome going to be here, do you think, in terms of how laws are going to be used to to protect copyright is is it are we going to see substantial changes are we just going to see different approaches and and how do you think people are going to go about it Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of hesitation right now to change the laws like the copyright act whether it's in canada the uk or the u.s precisely because technology is advancing so fast and we've seen this in other uh in certain jurisdictions like in the uk where a few years back they uh, they amended the Copyright Act to allow for copyright protection in AI-generated works. This was several years before ChatGPT and, and you know MidJourney and all of those came onto the market. And looking back on that now, probably that was premature because now we're seeing what can be done with these tools. And there's that amendment in and of itself doesn't really resolve the question because. Even if copyright exists in those work, who does it belong to um, and how do we navigate that aspect of it? So, I, yeah, I think there is there is hesitation coming from uh, coming from the lawmakers and the regulators and probably what we'll see in the next five five years or so is, is just more um, more of these things being decided in front of the courts. Is this an exciting space to work in then or is it frustrating? <laughs> More exciting than frustrating, sometimes frustrating, but it's definitely uh, overall really exciting. Uh, I, I get I get asked really fascinating questions uh, from artists, from users, you know, from industry folks, from it, it's really all over the place. And everybody has their take on which direction it should go in um, and the I guess the commercial implications of that. So, yeah, no, it's a really fascinating and exciting space to be in right now. Good. Well, it's, it's keeping you busy. That's mm-hmm. good. Uh, now, as, as a final question, then, we're talking about music that's been generated by AI. Let's, let's, let's perhaps think about music generated by people. And as a final question, as a contextual one, uh, what is if you could only listen to one piece of music for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would it be? This could be a song or an album or, you know, something wow. like that. Hmm. Maybe... Box Goldberg variations. Oh right, why? Yeah. Why that? Oh, it's just it's classic. It will never grow old for me. Although I just right. listened to the uh, the latest One O Tricks Point Never album, and I am totally floored. <laughs> so, Which is getting great reviews. Yeah, but also Baroque inspired. You know. So, anyways, it all uh, art begets art. You know. Well, I will put a link to that as well as uh, to uh, <laughs> you and your work uh, beneath the podcast. Um, but uh, Eliane Elbogen, thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, there we are. You can explore uh, a bit more about her work uh, beneath the podcast with the various links I've provided. And if you found 
that interview with Eliane Useful, please share it on with someone else who you think will get something out of it. Now, if you want to get in touch with me, I would love to hear from you. You can email me uh, via joe, J-O-E, at musically.com. And if you'd like to stay in touch on a longer-term basis, we have a free weekly email called The Knowledge, which rounds up bits and pieces of the best analysis, news, marketing insight, and skills from across Music Ally's broad range of services. So sign up and you will immediately become a better person. Links to all of that are in the description, as always. So that is it. Uh, Thank you very much for listening uh, and joining us here on the Music Ally Focus podcast. I've been Joe Sparrow, you've been you, and until next time, farewell.